Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. As regular listeners are probably aware, the podcast took an unexpected hiatus because I was working on a movie for the last few months and didn't have time to do both. Specifically, I was hired as a health and safety manager for a Netflix film called Red Notice that was filming in Atlanta, and I came on board to implement their COVID protocols. My guests today have also been working in this space. First, Jill Maxey. Jill, you're a DGA first assistant director who also serves on the ADUPM Council at the Directors Guild, and you're currently working as a COVID compliance supervisor during the pandemic. Welcome to Below the Line. Thank you. We're also joined today by Greg Caston-Smalley, who has been working as a health and safety officer as well. Greg is a native of Texas and has lived in New York City for three and a half years, pursuing his acting career. He is also an acute care nurse practitioner with a background in ICU, cath lab, surgery, internal medicine, and urgent care. Greg, welcome. Uh, thank you. All right, so no spoilers today for specific shows, but we are gonna dive into the protocols that are enabling filming to resume. Let's start by talking about the development of these protocols. By mid-March, production across the board has essentially come to a halt. What were each of you doing at that time? Hiding in my house. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was working. Uh, I, when the shutdown actually happened, I was, you know, we were in the midst of, you know, pilot season here, what we call it in New York, and I, everything shut down and I kind of went back into the hospital full time and took a frontline assignment as they deployed nurses from all over the country here. And for 41 days straight, I was in a hotel going, being bused to hard hit locations and treating COVID patients. That's what I was doing. That's wow. great. <laughs> I, was, I was hiding too. That's, yeah. <laughs> Jill, were you working when uh, things started to close? No, I, I was on a, a NBC job Council of Dads in February, uh, right when COVID started kind of approaching. And um, I, I was learning a lot about Wuhan and studying what was happening there as just a parent and um, you know, human being just watching um, the hospitals being built. And uh, I had just watched the Bill Gates pandemic um, documentary on Netflix, I think. And I had, I was getting interested in it because uh, we were, planning on shutting down, but, but then we, we, we finished uh, and then we went our ways. Now, nobody really knew how long it was going to be or what the issues were, but obviously the writing was on the wall that this was going to be more serious than the couple of weeks break that uh, many of us thought when, when it first started. By the time June rolls around, some productions are filming what they can under quarantine conditions, um, but also the unions are getting together and figuring out how to do this safely. And that's when they put out the safe way forward uh, based on medical expertise about what conditions might make filming possible going forward. And things are starting to come together. Did you guys, what were your guys' thoughts when, when that happened? tell you I was I was on the ADUPM council I heard a lot about the papers coming forward I wasn't involved in the papers but I, I in the meetings we were discussing them and how the unions were involved the testing scenarios that they were placing for were very challenging because they weren't in place at all the testing uh, ability at that time in Hollywood so um, when the requirements came out um, we had to do safety plans for the unions and those had to be approved. And then they had, they had to make, you know, make sure that the testing plans were in place and then getting the testing facilities to come out to your location to shoot in July was very sketchy. Yeah. And I actually, it was actually at that point I had left the hospitals and went to testing. Uh, we were doing like testing, remote testing and 
education basically at that point in June. And I was speaking back and forth to my manager at the time. Um, and things were just kind of uncertain. Uh, no auditions were coming through, of course. And so we were just kind of holding. So I wasn't much aware of what they were doing at that time. I was mainly focused on what we were doing with testing ourselves here in New York. And so, Greg, let me follow up with you then. How did you end up working again on film or television? Well, in July, my manager actually passed away. And I, it was, you know, I'm at the beginning of my career here. And it was, you're at that crossroad situation where it's, it's precarious what's going on in the industry. You, you really don't, you like, well, you kind of feel like you're left on the street. You're like, what do I go? What do I do? And I had another actress friend of mine who's also, our, she's an RN and she was, uh, had started working with this company doing COVID compliance. And the thing that it, it was basically both of our passions meeting for the first time. And mainly I have spent the, my last part of my career working in, as a healthcare provider in the operating room and infection control and viruses, bacteria, all that type of things are second nature to us because we, if we deal with it every day. And so, and she, and she's an OR nurse as well. And so we, just kind of she was doing it and I went ahead and I was like okay well let's let's give this a try and so I kind of got into it that way I had an uh, interview and just full speed ahead. Now Jill you were doing have been working in this space as well and in fact you have a website and have brought together several resources helping productions uh, navigate this space can you tell me a little more about that? Sure. In July, I started working on commercials with a company in Los Angeles called Sanaset. They were doing PPE and, and beginning the testing. Um, and at that time, I decided that I should form a company because there was nobody out there in Los Angeles who was able to train other people to do this position. I got received some training for COVID compliance out of the UK. It was very beginning, very just rudimentary. And uh, so I formed a company called COVID-19 Compliance Services. And I began to train other assistant directors because I felt like ADs were right in line with, uh, they didn't have medical knowledge, but if we could hire an epidemiologist to advise us, we could manage the crew. And then I wound up uh, coordinating with Emily Gurley and she's the epidemiologist with Johns Hopkins uh, uh, University who does the contact tracing course through them. She became my consultant and uh, she looked at my safety plans and guided me on what to do on set and everything. And so I now have about 20, 30 people that I farm out to different jobs uh, currently. For myself, the way things develop just uh, while we're doing origin stories is that when the pandemic hit and things started to shut down, Again, regular listeners will know the podcast pivoted quite a bit to cover these issues and how they were affecting uh, the industry in real time. And so I started paying attention and um, staying in close contact with folks who are working in this space. And then somewhat coincidentally, when they started talking about the challenges of coming back together, I threw my name out there just as something I could possibly consider doing. Some old folks that I had worked with in the past wanted someone to come on board for Red Notice on Netflix. And... I happen to know a bunch of people involved. And so since my regular consulting work was drying up with the economic downturn as well, like as many guys have alluded, there just wasn't a lot of work going on. I was available. And so they brought me in, did some planning for about a month virtually before going down to Atlanta to join with the, uh, with the actual setup. What I think was unique, I won't say unique, but where my movie was in an interesting place was that they were halfway done before the shutdown. 
And now it was an idea, well, how do we get the other half done to fall upon our investment? And so they had the wherewithal and the interest in investing further, basically to, to see that things to get done. But I think where this leads to is at this time, yes, there's guidance out there. Um, the Safeway Forward had come out, um, but the production studios are still deciding for themselves how they're going to implement this on the ground. They're designing their own systems, how it's going to work here and there. And I think as I've asked around, and it's probably apparent to you guys as well, there were a lot of differences in how this was being done. Did you guys have similar experiences during this June to July, August timeframe with production starting to start back up? For me, uh, it was my experience when I actually started on, it was probably at the end of July and right at the beginning of August. There were a lot of the show, I think the biggest issue or concern was that my show was just beginning. We hadn't even, you know, they had actually did, well, they did start like a while, like months before. I think it was even the year before probably planning things out, but nothing had actually uh, shot. And so now it's whereas you have this budget that's already allotted for everything else, and then you have this new thing coming along that has to go on top of this, which is COVID related. And so the, the biggest thing, my the challenge was of knowing everything that I needed going into this and the, I knew the staff that I needed and trying to, you know, let the, the, the production know this is what I need and them not really understanding and trying to take baby steps into doing those things. And it's like, well, we're four weeks in and now you've given me half of the things I said I needed because you realize that I do. And that, that was just, you know, and then you, you move on further and then you finally have everything you need. And it's been such, you know, a struggle of trying to, you know, bring together these two entities of, you know, uh, healthcare and infection control into production, which those two were, you know, they really weren't ever coinciding in a sense that they were today. And so it was, you know, it was for me, that was my, my experience with trying to get things going again, was explaining to productions why we need things, things and why it's important. And then comparing to other things that were going on, whereas here in New York, it's different to put on a show here in New York versus putting in one in LA because mostly in LA, every I've lived in LA and everybody, you know, there's cars, you get places where in New York, public transportation is really important. And it is, you know, it's, it's the means of transportation for a lot of people and it's much more expensive to do things. And, you know, it is New York as well. So it's kind of my experience of getting into it. Well, Jill, how about for you? You mentioned working on commercials in the beginning. What was it like starting out in this space? Um, when I started out on commercials in July, uh, there was no testing going on. We didn't have testing in place. Uh, so basically it was, uh, I did a commercial for a, a university and I worked with the first assistant director to make sure that we had proper ventilation in the room, that we were working with windows open. The sound department had to kind of like deal with the sound of the wind of the windows being open. So what we would do is we would roll for about 15 minutes based on what my epidemiologist told me. Um, and then we would cut, take everybody out of the room, put the mask back on, and then we'd go in and sanitize. And then we would you know, put a fan in and kind of push the air outside the windows. Um, and then the second commercial I had, I won't even tell you what it was, but we had a tester show up with um, test kits, rapid test kits in the back of his trunk. And he had no, no PPE on. He had a, just a surgical mask with an N95 underneath. And then he went into a trailer and then they're like, oh, in 15 minutes, we're going to have the results. And 
the 15 minutes was the first person we tested. And then we had to like go a minute after that. And it, 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 he had, he didn't even have a face shield on. It was wonky. And I, I was just like, that is it. I'm never doing this again. Uh, and after that, we didn't do it that way. We had a PCR test that we went, sent people to, you know, clinics and, and we never did anything out of a car. In fact, that guy, the second day called me up and said, Jill, I've tested positive for COVID. I can't conduct the testing for your crew today. <laughs> oh, man. So oh. I'm like, what the boop? And I'm like, okay, we're putting everybody to the nearest clinic and we scramble. We got them into an urgent care, which is not even good either because you could pot potentially have COVID patients waiting in the waiting room. So we don't do that anymore. But that's what it was like in July. It was definitely Wild West where I think um, even when I went on Netflix, now Netflix had all the money in the world. So we had lots of testing. We had lots of people to hire. We were starting out with just the construction folks and sort of getting our system in place. And we had bought out a, a lot there in Atlanta where we were the only folks on the grounds, but learning all the protocols and how do we control that with that, we had to make up from scratch. That being said though, we had the resources to be able to pursue it. But even then when I first went on, they were saying, Oh, there's just going to be a couple of shows start up. We're going to see how it goes. But very quickly, I think the competition to start up made people start to, to really push forward. And I think studios across the board, not that everything went back online, but people were really, really getting out ahead of themselves, I think, as far as the number of folks that wanted to film all at once. And it got very busy very fast. Jill, did you see that kind of growth with your company as far as people coming to you? I got really busy in August. I had to hire a couple of people to help me. And the one thing that I was doing in, in August was the safety planning um, for commercials. Commercials were the only thing in Los Angeles that were going. There were very little TV shows. Um, but I was slammed getting either officers for commercials or doing the safety plan. And the safety plan would take me two to three days to compile based on everything. Then the union would look at it and they would come back with questions. Uh, SAG would come back with asking the ventilation plan. At that time, I did a, a planning for a movie, No Man of God, shooting in Pomona, uh, which is about 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles. And uh, we did that. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I started hearing about SAG stacking up projects where they were, you know, needed four or five weeks to get the plan in. And then they had to like schedule the ventilation planning meeting. So it was, it was pretty jamming there for a while. Greg, you said you started a project in July and did that then continue for a while or were you bouncing yeah. around? Yo, so I, I, I uh, tagged on to a project at the end of July and I left that project and went on to the, the new project, which had was just starting up. I was um, had previously started before and had shut down and, you know, here we are again and they hadn't filmed anything. But also what I did was I ended up having to push them back two weeks because a lot of these shows were wanting to start. OK, well, you come in this weekend, we're going to start bringing in crew and start pre-pro next week. I was like, no, like there's no way. And, you know, Grant, I had to push them back two weeks because it's like I want to be in a position to succeed. And that was also one of the struggles that it's not, you know, life as usual. You can't, a lot of stuff in production is, you know, it's last minute and stuff. And you just can't do that anymore. You just cannot, you know, make those decisions, you know, on the sole basis of what you were doing a year ago. Yeah, that's a good segue maybe into talking about some of the specific uh 
protocols. Um, so testing is a big one, right? One, um, in the beginning, there wasn't enough testing to go around uh, and it took time to ramp that up. But then two, testing itself, if you test me today, you basically at your best case scenario know what whether I got COVID three days ago. You don't know whether I was exposed yesterday or the day before because you just have a sense of it uh, by that point. Is that, and I think that's a challenge for film folks, right? It's not just you can, you know, test and then suddenly you allow these people onto set because um, you don't know. You could you could be carrying it unknowingly given the nature of this, of this disease. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that, because there's so many different scenarios and ideas and these protocols that, that you know, just like I tell people, you can go to three different cardiologists and they'll tell you three different things and they'll tell you why the other cardiologists are wrong as well. Uh, you know, that's, you know, the whole 14 day quarantine versus the 10 day isolation with how those things changed. You know, the virus takes anywhere from two to 14 days to, you know, can incubate for four to two to 14 days. And you get on a plane and you get here, you leave on Monday, you get here on Monday and we test you on Tuesday, we still may not know if you got anything on the plane. So this is the other thing, you know, the, a lot of productions want to get these waivers for these people and like, well, you are increasing the risk. And they're still doing it. There are a lot of shows that are still trying to get waivers for actors that are coming in from these places that, you know, are on the travel advisory list. Luckily right now, California is off. So, you know, when they were on, those a little bit more people were trying to like, oh, well, let's get them in. And I was very black and white when it came to some of these protocols i was there, there were a few things that were a hard stop for me it was okay this is this is the safest way to do this and they were like okay well we need this okay well this is my recommendation so let's try to do what you want to do the safest way possible finding some middle ground and that's what i found myself doing most of the time but i never gave in to where i was putting people totally at risk for you know just to accommodate what the studio needed all the time because this is not that's just not what i'm here for so the show I'm working on now is a feature film, Queen Pens, and I have an epidemiologist, Dr. Anne Ramoyne, and she's guiding us to uh, anybody that's traveling must quarantine for 10 days. If they're coming from a, from a plane, 10 to 14 days. And then once we say that, they're like, oh, I'll drive or whatever, you know, so they kind of avoid the plane. Um, we've had a lot of crew members who tried to fly and we've said, it's not going to work. You're going to have to quarantine for 10 to 12, 14 days, and then they'll change their mind and say, okay, I'll drive down from San Francisco down to Los Angeles. I, I just, it's just a tricky thing. And uh, we require two tests prior to first employment. So if you have a, a grip that's going to be on our show, uh, you have to get a 72 hour test and then that has to be negative. And then we test that person again before we even let them start working with us. And we have found a couple positives this way uh, through day players. It, yeah, right. And if you find a positive and suggest it is, you know, that it is out there. And even though folks were asymptomatic, they had it or could have spread it to other folks. So, yeah, the the, the thing with the, the protocols as well, like different uh, studios have different protocols with that as well, as far as employment, even before the September 21st, you know, first of all, luckily my production, we, uh, we only do in-lab PCRs, you know, and so I was totally pushing away from the app from the rapid test because the sensitivity is just yeah. it's just too much it's just it's a lot of shows that are shut down for short times had to do with a lot of false positives and I fingers crossed the show that I was on from August that I just got off on we've been going I think probably since August, the second week in August no positives no positives you know there were a couple quarantine situations that were short based on you know some sick people at home but no positives at all 
And I think it's really important people want to jump into the rapid situation and they have to understand that the sensitivity, which the sensitivity is either basically how accurate is the positive. And if it's 85%, then you have all of that room for people to, you know, if every 250 tests you have, you're going to have a positive, false positive, and you're testing 200 people like every three days. I mean, you end up shutting down a show that's millions of dollars for 14 days based off of a rapid test when the in-lab PCR is much more sensitive. That's the other thing too, you know, people, the, the studios want to save money, but, you know, you spend a little extra money in the in-lab PCR, you save could possibly save yourself a lot of time from shutting down just over false positives. Yeah, we had a we had a positive last week on a crew member that was in in contact with the directors who's been scouting, and then we tested that person again to the next day, and it came up negative. So we are on on schedule to test that person tomorrow morning again. He's quarantined right now. We test went and tested his whole family that he was living with as a precaution. So it's, it's just, it's rough, you know? I think there's an area where there's some gray here because yes, there is the possibility of false positives. But at the same time, if you start allowing people to test out of positives, you run the risk that they'll get false negatives and then they will have been positive. We were treating every positive as a positive. That was Netflix policy. But then encouraging and enforcing PPE standards that ideally, even if folks were positive, that other folks didn't, it didn't shut down the entire production, for example, depending on who you had, right? I mean, who that positive is going to be. But I think that's one of those challenging areas about, can we trust the information we have as far as the testing? Ideally we can, but then let's talk about PPE. So we were going KN95 respirator masks. Um, those are the ones that are not fitted for folks who are not aware. And then face shields as mandatory if you were going to be closer than six feet to people. And I'm guessing that's pretty much the standard across the industry, although you guys have experience in a wider range of productions. Is that what people are enforcing everywhere? I don't know if it's everywhere, but on our show on Queen Pens, we are enforcing a KN95 mask with a face shield or safety glasses, uh, really tight fitting safety glasses. We do surgical masks only if the person has a face shield on uh, and we don't let anybody be close to another within six feet. We don't eat together. We don't break for lunch together. We, we stay completely apart. We eat in our cars. Um, so that way, when we did have a, when we did have a positive, we were able to contact trace and say, Hey, that person was near the directors, but not anywhere six feet and never had that the PP off. Yeah. And that's why I, I tell people when I would train people uh, doing my COVID training or via zoom, is like I always re refer back to being on the front line for 41 days when I was basically supervising multiple RNs that none of my nurses ever tested positive for COVID and we were working directly in COVID units. And I say, I would explain that to say that PPE does make a difference. It will save you. Uh, granted, we're, you know, on the film sets, we're not in this COVID, acute COVID care situation, but you know, different, different shows have different requirements. Like we have facial options and we have safety glasses as well. Uh, we have three different masks that are available, you know, get into the, how the zone situation is, but everybody either wears a surgical mask or this cloth mask that's provided by the, um, the studio, but there's a filter you can place inside the mask. I always prefer to wear the, the surgical mask. Now, our people that are on set, which is our zone A people, KN95 masks are required because at the end of the day, like even if somebody gets quarantined, for me as a healthcare provider, like my main goal is I'm also is trying to save your life. It's where even if somebody tests positive around you and you were in, you were in contact with them, 
likely you won't end up in a hospital on on a ventilator because you were still wearing you know appropriate PPE. You're just at home with no you know you're not positive at all. You're just waiting till the quarantine's over. So, and it's hard to get that through to a lot of people that are not you know health you know, that haven't worked in the healthcare industry, but you know people are getting more adept to actually understanding what that is, and. For me, I know that it's like my first ID when we were doing our test shoot was that is it's a lifesaver for for me. And I think that's a great person as an advocate on set, which I mean, for me, they're the general on set. But my first ID, Katie Carroll, was there. She was, you know, we had a communication system where if something wasn't right, I'd send her a text or I'd send her right next to her and I'd say to her and she would address that, you know, and it is very important if your first ID is on board with every, you know, that's just so important. And I didn't have a problem with that. I was lucky to have that. So I don't know how other um, HSOs or COVID compliance officers are experiencing that on their sets with their first ADs. Because sometimes you get on set and people just go rogue and they go back to what they were doing a year ago. I really believe that the COVID compliance supervisor has to be somebody that understands production because you have to be able to get in people's face and say, hey, you can't do that. And I hear of shows where there have uh, people that don't have any um, on-set production experience and don't know how to talk to these people that are just, the ADs are not listening to them and they're just going and doing what they need to do to roll the cameras. When I say to somebody, hey, you need to put the first AC around the corner so that they're not in direct, uh, in, you know, anywhere close to the viral load, the actor takes the mask off and I know how far you can pull focus around the corner. I know you can do it, so just do it. And if you had somebody that did not know film production, they'd be like, I, I don't know where you're supposed to be. Like I saw a picture of a sound mixer this past week inside the set uh, within, the, within the airspace of where the actors were taking off a mask and she didn't have a face shield on. So, you know, it's just like, I think you really need people like myself who are ADs or medical people that are, or have worked as medics on set at two do these jobs. Yeah, I think that I think that's the future too. Uh, you know, it's moving forward is that the first ADs or second ADs are going to be in these supervisor positions when it comes to COVID compliance. And I think that's really going to be a benefit to the production and the director as well. I think when it, for it to work successful, you really do need a collaboration between someone who can manage the logistics and understand the impact on set, but also that there is that medical expertise. On red notice, I had a um, uh, traveling uh, RN who'd been working in COVID wards. We we're very lucky to find him, Liam Schmucker. He came on board and then we worked together to figure out how these things are going to work on set. He didn't have any movie experience, but then by the benefit of my background and movie experience, we were able to design protocols and uh, enforcement of protocols in a way that did not slow down filming, um, ideally. But I think the challenge is as more and more productions ramp up and say, oh, we want to film as well, and there is no union around what this work is. I, I, I fear this is a race to the bottom as far as the folks doing the job. In other words, lots of folks are out of work. This is an opportunity to come back to work. How do we maintain the standards of expertise that does keep everybody safe on set? I think that it's important to be training. I have a whole training presentation that I created for Queen Pins. Uh, the movie I'm currently on, and uh, I have that available. So, I mean, it's just like, I really think that the, for the next year, there is a much bigger training class than just a COVID compliance officer training. I think it's much more detailed. You got to do budgets. You got to know the union rules. You got to read those new papers that came out, the return to work papers, and 
you have to know them almost like an attorney. <laughs> it's a really a UPM person or somebody that understands uh, legal documents. Well, you've both alluded to it. Let's be a little more specific. We talked about how there was the uh, originally the white paper and the safe path forward back in June. On September 21st, they did publish the COVID-19 return to work safety agreement, um, which covers productions that are under the basic agreement or the FLTTA. And this is an actual agreement between producers and unions about the minimum standards for testing and zone protocols and having these health and safety teams. That is the way forward, I think, uh, right? As far as they're coming together in agreement, the actual standards that have to be met. It's only been another month. Are you guys seeing changes on set based on this new agreement or are largely product, is it largely just sort of encapsulate what we were doing already? Oh, we're requiring our department heads to sign off to physically say on an email that we've read the new paperwork and we knew the new guidelines. So we're actually requiring them to sign off that they agree to those terms. That's a good idea. You know, the part of the thing that I was running into even before that is that when it came to anything COVID related, a lot of the departments were hands off that they weren't, they didn't want to take any, like I had certain departments that didn't want to, I, I created this checklist that, you know, that they would have to check off on about whether they had any PPE needs or certain things that were going on or how was the pod structure, things like that. And I had some departments that didn't even want to sign off on that because their union said they didn't have to sign off on. I was like, well, you know, this is a, this is not this, everybody, you're the department head, you have to take some responsibility of making sure your people are informed. So that was something that I ran into even before that came out on the 21st. And after that came out on the 21st, I still had situations where if it was COVID related, nobody wanted anything to do with that's the COVID team to deal with it. And that was just how, how it was going on my, on my production. And I think it still is to an extent. Yeah, I send emails to people saying, hey, I want you to use this product to disinfect your uh, props or your wardrobe. And then I get no response back. So <laughs> I just think that they're not taking the responsibility to understand what they need to do. Um, and then, so I just bought the product. I'm going to give it to them and show them how to use it. And um, hopefully that'll become a regular piece of business for them. And that's the thing too, Jill. Like I would have, you know, that people not want to respond or work, but as soon as something came up where they were concerned about their health or anything else, or they were immediately trying to come back to you and either put something on you or inquire about things. That's the basically why we weren't doing something, but All that's right. why like with our production, we have used two separate, like two different products that were approved that everybody's using for cleaning their equipment and stuff like that as well. That was, yeah, I didn't really want to give people the option. All right. Well, so I'm going to start using, um, <laughs> Waxy's HP disinfectant, and it's um, a one-minute contact time. Uh, it's basically hydrogen peroxide kind of base, um, and I'm going to be using an atomizer gun or fogging machine uh, starting on queen pins. It's basically like the fogging that um, the big, big fogging companies use, but we're going to use a similar, looks like a dirty, hairy gun, mm -hmm. and uh, it sprays using a UV light as well and it's uh, epa approved so we'll see how that goes um but yeah we're using we have electrostatic sprayers some people that are spraying high touch surfaces and everything as well and so some of the departments set deck and uh, props and wardrobe take they really like to use like the e-mist these uh electrostatic sprayer guns and then there's a little mm -hmm. backpack unit as well 
Yeah, I'm, I'm planning on giving the backpack system to transportation so they can do the honey wagon and the bathrooms and the, and the cast trailers. And they're just like, whatever product, give it to us, we'll do it. So that's, that's great. You guys talk about having challenges on set. And I think there is um, a tendency to default to your old way of doing business under the pressure of filming, getting filming done. But my experience on Red Notice though is that largely the crew was very much on board with wanting to work and wanting to do it safely. And yeah, there is an issue of like, well, is that health and safety budget, you know, to buy, you know, PPE or the things we do, or if you wanted to buy a, a gun specifically to work on equipment in your department, that sounds like a COVID department expense or, or specialized face shields or, you know, things that are above and beyond. And some, yeah, there'd be some discussion about that, how things are budgeted, but our folks largely were glad to be there and working and recognize the need, not just to keep themselves from getting sick, but to presume that they're sick and, and protect others as well. Because when it boils down to it, to film with actors without masks, you have to create a space where you can minimize the chance that they're going to catch it. Not only because they're most vulnerable with not wearing PPE at the time, but you lose your actors, obviously, then nobody's working if your actor goes into quarantine, much right. less gets sick. The thing with my, some of the departments, some of the departments are different. Now, you know, when you're dealing with construction, that can be a different group of people than you're dealing with when it comes to wardrobe. And on the, the productions that I've worked on, the people that are most diligent and asking a lot of questions or have a lot of concerns or wardrobe. They're the first ones that are, you know, coming to me, asking me different things or have, you know, and they come out initially as you people like to call them thinking they're just, they're going to be the troublemakers or they're going to get them your, your nerves. And they turned out to be my favorite department because they were constantly ahead of the, the game of like, well, what are we going to do about this? When we do background thing. And that's part of the thing with COVID is that you have to plan ahead. And that's different means different things for different departments and people didn't really understand what that actually meant until something happened. I was like, no, we can't do this. You have to plan. But the different departments, you know, they have different personalities and some people are much more on, on to doing things right. And some say they want to do things right. And then those are the people you see constantly pulling their masks down and doing being non-compliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk some more about the protocols that have been, uh, solidified by the agreement now. So it's set up um, standards for testing. Uh, it also set up these health and safety teams or actual teams. Uh, they're allowed to be ADs. That's, that's new. There was concern in the beginning, I know in the early discussions, that this responsibility would be added to a, existing AD teams and just been more work, which I think as any of us can testify, there's too much work here to also be doing any kind of filming work at all. I mean, to stay right. focused on COVID protocols, you cannot have other responsibilities. It's good to understand what's happening on set, but you can't have, uh, you can't have responsibilities for actually executing that. So it establishes that we have separate teams and then also establishes zones. And this is an area where I think it's interesting that like Netflix has their own zone system, uh, red, yellow, green, but then, the zones with letters or zones with numbers, people, those couple of months gaps, particularly these larger studios have moved in different directions about what the zones mean. And sometimes you have to translate and even how those zones are applied in practice. I think there's a general principle that's captured, but it can be a little different set to set. Yeah, I just followed the paperwork from the guidelines. My sets say on my paperwork and my training slides, they say A, B, C, and D. And then they say, but A is in red. B is in yellow and C is in green and then D is purple or whatever. Uh, so I just incorporated their language, but then I followed the Netflix 
design, which I think is great. Red, yellow, green. That makes sense to everybody. In our production, we initially with the first, the Safeway Four, we were doing, you know, zone A and zone B and zone C was considered, you know, when you're at home doing anything, you know, or not at the studio. And then when they came out C and D, the way our production worked, like most of our people are still zone A and zone B, the zone C people, you know, shoppers and stuff that may not, you know, and I would just on the air on the side of a caution, you know, anybody that if you're interacting with anybody in zone B, there, there's no, especially on a daily basis in our building, they're, they're not zone C. But so most of our people are zone A and zone B. For us, zone A was red and zone B was blue at the beginning. Uh, it's actually still that way right now. You know, if that's, you know, if that changes, that changes. But that's basically how we're uh, focusing on our uh, production. Zone A and zone B are the main situation. There's not many people that are even in zone, our zone C. The people that are in our building, like facility people at the studio, they're getting tested as well. We have them been tested, but there's multiple uh, productions in our the whole actual studio. So the good thing of, uh, to do is that for, like I spoke with the HSO on that to see kind of what their protocols were. We kind of collaborate and figure out what's going on on both of our sets and figure out, you know, what's, um, because, you know, you have sometimes uh, your, your crew is kind of, you don't want them mingling with that crew or people see people coming into your, your area and people have become very protective of their area they're working in. And they see people without a, a wristband on, not wearing a mask, they're like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here, which is, you know, great. <laughs> well, it's helpful if everybody is yeah. paying attention to the protocols <laughs> rather than having just two or three people or 10 people or even a hundred people who are trying to police it. I don't think it's possible to police it in full. We really have to have, everyone's got to be on board with what the standards are. Yeah, we have maps that are being made by the location department and I approve those maps I, and we designate where the A zone is. We cone it off and they have their own bathrooms and that way we funnel the crew, the A zone crew and the actors into those bathrooms and then we'll have, we're going to position a PA right to can monitor that and not, you know, and lock it off with like chain like orange chain that goes from cone to cone and then on the maps when we're planning and we have our logistics meetings with the assistant directors we're going over those zones it's very very clear and then for me the c zone is a, a place to take your mask off um you know it's 30 yards from the set away way way from the red zone i've seen maps in from new mexico that had the c right next to the a i'm like guys <laughs> that's not gonna work we got to keep these people clear. Another cool thing that I saw out of New Mexico is for catering during lunchtime, you know, like the old fashioned TV trays um, that used to sit with and, you know, watch TV. We're taking those little TV trays, putting those outside and putting umbrellas over the top of those and then coordinating off the lunch area so that no one's inside and that everybody has their own little umbrella to sit under, they get their food and they sit at their little table and then the COVID team comes in, cleans those and then the next group of people comes in. That was like, that's a good, you know, that's part of our problem too, like how our, if we're on a sound stage, like we just, a lot of, we don't have a lot of space compared to, to do a lot of those things. And so we've been kind of struggling to kind of make things work out, even with the lunch situation and putting a tent out in you know, New York where we were subject to weather and snow and different things like that. So. That's been, that's kind of the challenge as well of, cause I wanted to have separate bathrooms for zone A, but you know, you're in the studio, there's only a set of bathrooms in the hallway. You have a bathrooms upstairs and then you have the bathrooms inside the shops. And so it was very difficult to, you know, to kind of separate these zone bathrooms, you know, versus like, okay, let's bring in these bathroom trailers. So that's been a, a struggle for like people that are on these sound stages and some of these sound stages aren't really designed well. <laughs> You go into them and you're like, well, you know, I don't understand how 
they thought this was a good idea, but anyway, <laughs> even before COVID. Are you guys using air, are you guys using air scrubbers? Are you uh, yeah, using we, air scrub? Yeah, we have we have a lot of HIPAA filters. Yeah, and they're bringing 25% outside air for our HVAC system. Yeah. Okay, good. You know, we should talk a little bit more about the zones because I'm not sure we yeah, made it struggle. clear, but the idea with um, zone A or the red zone as Netflix called it, or zone one for, for whatever students using that, basically where there's the highest risk. And it's a guidance for what level of PPE has to be worn by folks there. And the idea that masks and uh, face shields to prevent uh, back and forth but the thing is, on a film set, people are always getting closer together and always sort of crowding on the space or trying to get many things done at once. So it's a really challenge to maintain social distance standards. And even, like you say, the PPE standards, people aren't accustomed to it for doing that for long periods of time in that, in that space. Deal with it. Yeah. That's, but, you know, again, people get distracted. And if we can set up these teams, and that's another thing that was in the agreement, that these teams are established separately to be there to remind folks about what's in their best interest as a reminder, again, rather than trying to catch people or, you know, sort of, you know, turn it into a, you know, who's violating what, um, it is possible to work under those, under those conditions. And then again, trying to create safe spaces where people can eat. We're used to socializing and eating all the time. And just the idea of separating those activities that they're not happening simultaneously, because that's where your big risk of cross infection is. Um, that was a real, that was a real mental shift for people, particularly on film sets. Yeah, I think the key is training. It's like I have a video of a, a, th a 3D video that goes and I show them and I said, this is the most important video you're going to see. And it shows how a cough, you know, goes in a room for 10 minutes. So there was a DP that I was working with on a commercial a couple of weeks ago and he put on goggles and I said to him, I think I showed him the video and it's, you know, this is something that I didn't get to train beforehand. And he's like, Oh, okay, got it. And he put on the goggles and I think it's the training, you know, just like the Greg's medical staff before, you know, we didn't have any, any idea about infectious disease. And now we're learning, you know, from our experts that are teaching us how to deal with this and protect ourselves. There's no way is anybody get on my set not going to wear a goggle or, or a face shield or glasses within proximity for 10 minutes with the actor having the mask off. Even though they've been tested, we can't guarantee that they don't have COVID. That's right. You basically have to assume that everybody has it all the time. It's just asymptomatic and then, you know, act accordingly. We also had a training program on our film where all crew was trained before coming in on PPE and the zones and how we were working things. But then you run into like what Greg brought up earlier, is it trying to rush to be, get people on or want to test them out a cycle or can we test them now using this test so they can start next week? We really, we really need them in. That's a real challenge. And without pre-planning, um, it becomes very difficult. That was the other thing on, I don't know on the production you guys have been on, but I had an entire office staff dedicated to just tracking testing and traveling and scheduling and just all of that. I had, I think my office was larger than a lot of major film production offices. Let's say I had six people in the office that were all dedicated to COVID and all of them were off site. Like none of them were actually doing on site work, but just to track the massive amounts of who get tested and tested when and what you do with a you know positive or quarantine. It was, it was an enormous undertaking to say the least. Yeah, I would say there. You need somebody who is is uh, two. I think you need two people doing the tr uh, testing coordination, or three, because I have one person doing it right now on the film we're on, and uh, it's too much. She, you know, she's she's working seven days seven days a stretch, and so we're we're gonna get her some help. 
Um, but I feel like it should be somebody like a POC or somebody that understands how to track people and crew members and actually what they do for a living is really, really important. That was one of the things, the struggles too, of getting on and trying to build our team is that people didn't understand how much of an undertaking the testing situation is. And initially when I went on, it was me and I had an HSM under me and we were doing everything to start. And that testing situation, you know, people will call and try to have things scheduled the day before. And I was like, it's, they were thinking we're available 24 hours a day. And, you know, now after starting in August and up until now, now they just said, okay, we want to give you guys a PA to assist with your, your testing admin. Oh, okay. Well, because initially they were like, okay, you have one of the biggest teams in the country where there was, I think, uh, nine of us. And now it was explained like, you know, okay, well, now we've been talking to some of our people and you guys have one of the smaller teams here, especially in New York. It's like, well, you know, okay. Either way, like that's the thing of not understanding the production, not understanding how much things actually take and understanding how much of an undertaking the whole COVID situation is. Yeah, it's a learning experience for sure. And then you go into productions and they're like, oh, you don't need that many people. And I think we just have to put our foot down and say, this is what we require. If you want us to do this job, we require this many people to do two testing, two to three people managing the testing. Because could, you could be testing 300 to 500 people, depending on where you are. And I hear nightmare, nightmare stories of people quitting all the time in these roles. I understand. I, I, you know, it's like, I would say it's equated to like a football coach or a manager of a football team where you have hundreds of people uh, coming in and out and quarantine and isolating. It's just a lot. Yeah. Our team on red notice. I think um, we had 60 full-time folks. We had a whole additional staff of rotating people <laughs> that um, were handling our uh, temperature checks and uh, um, uh, paramedics to do that at a gate, maintain our, our, our zone area. If there was any challenge, it was the construction scheduling was was very, very much on top of the filming scheduling and trying to maintain different zones for different people and keep everyone safe at the same time. Um, we were also running a sequester uh, where our red zone folks were all in hotels we had bought out um, and were only traveling back and forth to set. And so trying to maintain those zones both on the lot and then separate from the lot and so quite a bit of that and that didn't include our vendors our decon vendors or our um uh, uh some of our hygiene uh vendors you know that was on top of that as well as far as the the team of what we were putting together but that brings up a big challenge like netflix has a lot of money and is invested yeah. in this movie and can afford to say okay let's try it like this um but um in some ways we were the victims of our own success because as we started to film as more and more productions stood up the pas we were training to be monitors they would go because they wanted to do PA work, which is actually what they're doing in the business. Like in the beginning, when there weren't a lot of folks, we were easy, we could find the staff, but then once shows started um, ramping up, it got harder and harder to find folks that wanted to commit to this work because it's uh, it was a grind to your point, Jill, and people were quitting all the time. I'm trying to assemble about 20 people because I know they're not gonna wanna work and do this job. They're gonna wanna do other PA work and it's a dirty job. You got to go in, clean high touch areas. You got to go clean prep and wherever the company's moving to next. You have to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. And that was part of my thing too, because I had a couple of people, like I had two PAs that uh, moved on to something else. And it was, it was a question from production one time, well, why are these people leaving? I'm like, you guys do understand, like, you know, I have a PA here who has a degree in film. You think they're going to want to scrub toilets for the rest of, you know, like people, and my idea was like, let me get, I want to get a bunch of like part-time PAs in here so we can, 
there's not this constant turnover and it still wasn't understanding like this is normal. These people are not going to want, these are college graduates with these degrees that want to focus in film or do other things. They're not going to do certain things forever, like especially cleaning toilets. They're not going to do this, especially if stuff starts ramping up. They're going to move on. And you have to plan ahead for that. Understand that this is, this is how this is going to work. Unless you find somebody that's been pushing them off a broom for 10 to 15 years and that's what they want to do. Great. But that's just not what's happening here. Well, we, we might have split between, um, the monitoring work, which was, you know, making sure folks were using their masks and maintaining social distancing and, and sort of running the teams and running our gate checks and things like that versus my hygiene team who I went through a vendor for that. And so he was finding folks that had um, sanitation experience or uh, cleaning experience because trying to ramp up PAs and get them to stay, as to your point, Greg, these, uh, you know, all uh, filmmakers, um, in training uh, was difficult, but by finding a vendor, clean set company down in Atlanta provided us the folks that we needed and, you know, maintain that group. Now, in general, finding folks who do that work and then are just ramping up to add the extra protocols around COVID, I thought was easier than training production assistants from scratch. Although Jill, maybe if you find the right group of folks, maybe you'll have more success with that. And yeah. you know, Jill, it's when you mentioned that actually, we actually work uh, using, uh, there's a company I call, work with called Micron Disinfection and they were consulting or having people, cause I was like, I need people that are janitors to do these things. And they were getting people from Sanaset actually. Uh, yeah. They were sending us some people and then it was like, you know, these people that were coming in in these fill rep positions were not expected to be janitors. <laughs> It was like, this isn't what they were understanding what was going to happen. So, yeah, I think we have to be clear about what the job is and, and how, you know, it, I always say it's a dirty job when I hire Absolutely. people. Absolutely. So how long is this going to last guys? What are we, what are we looking at for, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, how long is the industry going to work under these conditions? Just throwing it out there. What's your, what's your epidemiologist saying, uh, Jill? What's my epidemiologist? Yeah. What she's, <laughs> yeah saying. She's, she's saying like, mid-April, uh, small batches of vaccines going to yeah. high, high level people who are very sick or the, you know, the medical field getting vaccine first, it's not looking good. So, um, <laughs> what do you think? I, I think it's gonna, I mean, I'd say a, a year at least like, I mean, may, next, next August, September, maybe something, but I, I mean, even when the vaccines come out, a lot of people are not going to want to take the vaccines and that's just, they're just not going to do it. And that's the problem with, you know, there's also a lot of people that I was hiring on my team were theater people, these theater stage managers that were out of work, which is also kind of a good option sometimes. Well, theater's not coming back really until there's probably until there's a vaccine. And, you know, people have to be willing to take the vaccine. So I, I don't know where the end is until you get people compliant with taking the vaccine. And, and I don't know, you know, is this going to be like a flu situation where people have to take the vaccine every year? because there's been some, you know, the issue with the reinfection situation and questioning whether people are able to fully build antibodies and if those antibodies are only appropriate with, you know, what that uh, strain is, you know, it's just, it's just unknown. I, I don't know. I, I, I know, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, I do want to say though, I don't think things are hopeless. And when this first started back in March, when things were shutting down and, we were still learning more and more about COVID-19, I would have said that it wasn't possible to film at all. That there is no way that under the conditions we require to do filming, that you're going to be able to have safety protocols that keep people safe. But 
I got to say that, um, you know, with the sort of research and the expertise, um, Netflix, to their credit, did a great job of putting together a panel of medical experts and, and really thinking this stuff through. I do think it's possible. And in the end, I think we were comfortable with the film we were doing on Red Notice. And in fact, you were a lot safer on set with us than you probably were out in real life elsewhere in Atlanta, Georgia, for sure. So I think that there's progress on that. Yeah, I definitely think there's progress. And I, I definitely think that there's there's hope. And I also tell people, it was like, you know, if you guys are following the protocols now, like because people are concerned about, because I have different um, information about COVID. And there's this really good poster that I have up in our in many places throughout the studio of where you have the signs and symptoms of COVID, then you have COVID versus the flu, then you have the cold versus allergies and different things is that when you get into flu season and those lines get blurred and people are not sure what this is or what's going on. It's like, if you're following these guidelines, you should also are less likely to get the flu. If you're, you know, if you're wearing your mask and you're doing hand hygiene and, you know, it's, so you should be in a, a safer situation. But, you know, when people let their, they get in these safe place, uh, places and then they let their guard down. They're like, oh, they get a little lax and they just start going back, falling back into the pre-COVID norms. Uh, yeah. And I don't see, I always tell people, have you gotten a cold in the last six months? And they're like, no, <laughs> it's because you've been wearing a mask. Right. Right. I like, I like that, Jill. We're in a war. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I, 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 I feel that way because I get so, I'm so passionate about people, just people's health and being safe and, People just, you know, people got jaded with the whole quarantine and doing it and they want to stop and go out and live their lives. I'm like, well, you can live your life. But I always tell people in the trainers, like, I'm looking out for the person who's most at risk. You have no idea that the person next to you may have stage two cancer or they're going home to an elderly parent or a sick child or they have some immune problem. You know, so and you're doing things, breaking the rules and they're laughing and smiling with you, but they're terrified and they're coming to me, talking to me about these things. So it's like if I'm taking care of the person that I know that is most at risk, then I know I'm doing the best I can with that situation. Because unlike, you know, other shows like for this show that I'm on, me being an independent provider here in the state of New York, people will come to me asking me different things about diagnosis and what do you think about this? And I can give them advice on that. And it's just really important for people to have that culture of vigilance, of being responsible for themselves and understanding if their actions affect the person next to them. What's what's next for you guys then? Well, I'm uh, starting to go on auditions here. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> things are ramping back up. Let's come back to work. <laughs> things are ramping back up. You know, I love healthcare and I love, you know, nutrition and things like that. But I mean, you know, being an actor is, is my passion, you know, and it was the first time that both of those mediums met, you know, healthcare and entertainment, but I want to be in front of the camera. Uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm, that's why I'm here. So I'm in New York. So. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I, uh, I'm a, you know, I was on track to become a director. I was already directing, uh, as an AD, I was moving into directing and you can see my credits. I was like slowly getting there. And then this happened, I had to take a step back. Uh, I'm currently on Queen Pins, and we'll see how that goes. Well, Jill, I mean, you're going to be totally amped up, Jill, for when you're director and you have all that stuff on there as well. You can run the whole set. <laughs> I can be like, get your PP on, back to one. Right. Get the scrubbers in yeah. here now. Right. Get the guns. That's the other thing, too, of like the directors that are um, – there's some directors that are not willing to kind of do the right thing. And luckily I know the director I was working on on this show, he was very, um, I don't know if I can reveal that name, uh, Robert, no, that's appropriate, <laughs> but I mean, he was very specific about doing the right thing. And I told him initially, I said, if I'm coming on, it has to come from the top. 
you know, if the people on the top are not doing the right thing, then, you know, everybody else are going to do whatever they want. And he was been very, he was very specific about wanting to follow the rules. And he, when we were on set, he was like, Greg, am I good? I'm okay. I was like, you're fine. But the one thing on set is that that DP and the director, that you have to keep them apart because they're con he's constantly wanting to look over and, you know, put that plexiglass right there. You know, like you got to stay over here. And, and people don't want to speak up for themselves sometimes. And I get it because they're a little, depending on who they're working with, they want to don't keep telling people like, you got to stay over there. So, you know, I definitely plexi off the DP and the director from everyone <laughs> to kind of stop them from <laughs> breaking away. Yeah, I don't have that. I just have them on, I'm going to put them in comms, you know, like the crane operator comm, oh. so the headphones, and so they can communicate and there's no yeah. getting close to each other. Well, good luck with that, Jill. Jill, if people want to visit your um, uh, compliance services, where do they go? Where do they look that up? No, it's going to be covidandcomplianceservices.com. Okay. Um, and again, yeah, I think you'll have a lot of work uh, at least through uh, the start of next year. We'll see how long it goes. Guys, both of you, thank you very much for coming on today. We'll check back in with you. Thank you so much. Listeners, I can't say it often enough. Your feedback is always welcome and greatly appreciated. You can send me email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at below the line one word dot biz. That's B-I-Z. Please rate us wherever you get your podcast. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, most of our material is evergreen, so feel free to peruse our past seasons. Maybe another episode will catch your eye. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Wan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. It's good to be back, and we've got a nice state of episodes to round out season six. Be safe out there.